Welcome to Geeking Off the Page. For those paying attention, this is episode 55. I'm Trevor. And I'm Mike. So if you've been uh, paying attention and watching TV and all that fun stuff, uh, there's been some new stuff that has uh, kind of showed up in the last couple of days. Um, I'm going to start actually with Quantum Leap. Um, Mike, have you been watching Quantum Leap at all? I have not. I'm waiting for the reviews. Well, here they come. Um, so uh, this is episode two of Quantum Leap. Um, uh, it's called Atlantis because most of the episode takes place on the space shuttle Atlantis uh, in 1998. Ben jumps into a uh, Korean scientist that was a personal hero of his and has to save his life. Um, and in the original timeline, this Korean scientist had lost his life um, with a accident either on board or during his spacewalk. Um, but, you know, he manages to, to save his life. Um, but then there's some other issues and they get it all resolved. But the effects were okay. The effects were better in this episode than in the first episode. Um, but again, we have the same issue of more than half the episode was spent in present day with that group of people. Basically, it was just like a a, a giant. I'm I'm not, I'm gonna not even sugarcoat this clusterfuck of people not trusting <laughs> each other back and forth. They're like, "Ooh, I found this drive, and ooh, I found this, and ooh, I found that." Just back and fucking forth. Nobody cares, honestly. They're they spend so much time jumping around accusing each other of things and we're trying to piece together this mystery that no one cares about um, and spend so little time with the main character, Ben, that we don't get the same connection with him that we got with Scott Bakula as Sam Beckett. Um, and the problem is, is because they're trying to jump both into the, into the past with the, the Ben character and then into the present with, you know, his, his, fiance and the the project director and the the computer guy and the the security expert and the, the this and the that and the who the fuck cares we don't really connect with any of the characters um everyone is still very two-dimensional um and it's it's making me like this show less and less because you're you're standing on the shoulders of a giant and instead of reaching upwards, you're bending down to tie your shoes. That's what it feels like. This is a giant wasted opportunity. Why are you wasting our time? Like, I know this is the second episode and they have all this ground that they want to cover. But, you know, they know they have a whole season. We don't need it all crammed into the first couple of episodes. Um, stop telling us and start showing us. Because it's that whole show us, don't tell us. Well, right now, they're just telling us a whole lot, showing us little. And to me, that's like the laziest type of storytelling you can do. And as people who have listened to this podcast know, to me, story is king. And instead of being served, you know, a beautiful, beautiful meal, that's all story. I'm being served celery and being told, well, the good <laughs> stuff is coming. And I know I just I. I don't want to check out the check out the show already. I don't want to give up on it, but they're trying real hard to make me. 
Um, was there any charm? Like as the original Quantum Leap, there was a certain charm. Oh, that's lack about of it. There's there's, there's yeah. so little chemistry between um, the main character Ben and his love interest, which I'm just blanking on her name, uh, Addison. There's an almost an animosity um, because you can see it in her face that she should be the one in the past. She was the one who was going to be the leaper, but she can't seem to get over it. She can't seem to realize that her her job there is to assist Ben, not, you know, to play cheeky buggers in the background and go, oh, do I trust him? Do I not trust? Him? Just just fucking get over yourself, lady. And it's the whole series feels like that. I mean, right from the get go, there was a chemistry between um, Sam and Al. You know, yeah, he complained about, you know, Ziggy constantly he kept tapping the thing because Ziggy was was on, on the fritz and Gushy was always blathering in his ear. But the relationship between Sam and Al was Al was there to support you, Sam. You know, yep. he's going to help you. He's going to give you the he's information. your Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, he's giving you the information as best he can to help you do what you need to do to leap. Addison has this enormous fucking chip on her shoulder. And she's like, I don't know if I can trust Ben. Well, if you were going to marry the fucking guy, maybe you should have worked out your trust issues before, you know, that sort of thing came along. Um, And so it's just, I don't know. It just, with that chemistry missing, and they're supposed to be the two main characters mm -hmm. with that lack of chemistry. And I just feel like the actor and actress just don't feel like they get along. They really don't. It, Every time there's an interaction with the two, it feels very stilted. Even before he left, like in the first episode when they were at the party, it honestly, you were just watching two strange, like like not two strangers to me, but two strangers to each other. Right. Interacting. Yet they're supposed to be fiance. And, and it just and that it didn't work. It just there, there's no chemistry there. And now that he's back in the past and she's the hologram assisting him that lack of chemistry is even more apparent. And that's what's lacking from this show is that chemistry. But also because they spend so much time in the present, they don't have time to spend in the past so that we can see the relationship. And maybe that chemistry is there, but they just don't have time to show it on screen to us. Um, and yeah, so I'm just, I'm having a rough time with this show. A really rough time. Well, I'm glad you are and I'm not. Oh god, I it's one of those things like this past Monday, I was like, ooh, I'll watch this. And like 10 minutes of the episode, and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna change the channel. I'm not gonna pick up my phone and read a book. I'm not gonna play games. Uh I'm not even gonna go pick up a book and read that instead. I, I'll I'll sit through this. Um, because I, I feel I have to give it at least a give it a shot. You know, maybe even get through halfway through the season. You know, I'm not sure how many episodes they're planning on. Uh, I'm sure Troy will, will let us know. Um, but I'm I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. But they're making it hard. I'm, I'm just so glad that you're trying so I don't have to. Yeah. So um, on Wednesday came out episode four of Andor. This is the Disney Plus Star Wars Adventures of Andor Cassian. 
Um, that's still another episode I haven't seen. <laughs> um, yeah, Trevor, you're Shocking. watching all the stuff. I know. I'm I just going to respond. So the first three episodes, as I said, just felt like the the tired 80s movie of the guy who's, you know, run afoul of the police or security or whatever and has to get out of town and is like willing to sell his soul to get the money he needs to go to town. And, you know, his his side, girl on the side, her boy on the side dropped a dime on him and now the, the authority forces show up and there's a big battle and he manages to get away. And that ended episode three. Episode four has shifted the tone. Now it's no longer the guy trying to get away. Now it's a heist movie. Now we're, we're, we're going on and, and it's, he's been asked to join basically a heist film where they're going to steal a payroll. Um, so Cassian is very reluctant to join, but the eventually agrees. Um, so his name's rail. Yeah. Rail. Um, gives them a pseudonym to, to be with the rebels. Oh, by the way, if you haven't watched the episode, these rebels are armed with AK 47s stockless AK 47s. You can tell because also they have the, the curved clip. It's the exact same front end. Uh, the property department did nothing to disguise these things as Star Wars blasters in any way, shape, or form. I've already had a rant about that, and I'm, I I don't want to... I don't have the energy to do it again. Oh, anyway, come on, Trevor. Rant um, on it. Because uh, this is one thing. Is I, Star Wars was always something that would take old weapons. Like even Han Solo's, that's yeah. like a classic Nazi blaster. But they could but still... They, they did something to it. They would kitbash it, and... It would have it would be given new life. Yes. These are, I mean, I think after the show finished filming, they just handed them right back to whatever you know, World War II they movie they were making. From. And the guy basically just had to maybe wipe some dirt off it and put it back in the rack for the whatever, like you know, Iranian terrorist '80s film they're going to shoot next. Great, um, Scott. Yeah, it was it was like watching the you know they got the the props from the set of Rambo Three. Anyways, um. So we also find out Rail works on Coruscant as uh, he he runs a, an art dealership. Uh, he's an art dealer, and he meets with Senator Mon Mothra, who shows up. Um, and he um, he basically, under the pretense of selling her stuff, he, she is funneling money into the rebellion, her influence and especially her money. Um, but her husband is very much an imperial uh, sympathizer. Um, there's little, you can tell there's a little bit of friction there. Um, so, yeah. So it's that's kind of like the B-reel of what's going on. So Rail is the art dealer with Mon Mothra. I'm not sure how he's going to get Cassian to meet. Anyway, so Cassian is Clem is with these these rebel leaders, who or this, this little rebel group, who everybody spends most of their time just going, I don't trust them. I don't trust him. We got three days before the, the, the job and I don't trust him. Um, and it, it gets old fast. You're like, just, just, yes, you don't trust him. Everyone doesn't trust him. Can we just come to a, a general fucking consensus? No one trusts him. Thank you. Can we get over it? Um, and of course they can't. Um, but at the same time, so the um, security officer who did the big, you know, security forces showing up in episode three, the Imperials have now taken over corporate security he got fired. Um, he got sent to go visit his mom and placed on leave. And the Imperials, as Imperials do, just stomp over everything with their big jackboots. 
And there's a, a a female imperial officer who's trying to say, well, we found this this device that Cassian was selling, and it's it's part of her her jurisdiction, so she wants jurisdiction on this fight. And the guy who's control of that sector is like, well, no, screw you, you're not like ladder climbing over me using this. And so they they run to the major, and the major's like, well, until you give me concrete evidence, stay in your basically stay in your circle. He'll stay in his circle. Don't bother me again. He gives that, and the other guy gives like that that knowing smirk, like, mm-hmm, you're, you've been put in your place. I'm sure more of this will come. Um, this episode was better than one, two, and three, but not by much. As I said, all we have done is gone from the 80s need to escape town movie to now we're in like the heist movie. It's honestly all we've done. That's it. and if this is what the tone of of Andor is going to be, where every couple of episodes we just change to a mo- different movie trope, um, this is going to get tiresome fast. And yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Any thoughts, Mike? <laughs> like I said, I'm just glad that you're watching it and not me. Um, I guess that female imperial officer is she the one from the interview that was doing the whole. Oh, I'm surrounded by a bunch of incompetent males or a bunch of boys, like slouchy. I, I didn't see the interview, so I, I can't. Uh, the blonde girl? Yeah, she's blonde. Uh, um, but the thing is, is, honestly, the way that she was acting around the other people, she's kind of right. Because the rest of them just seem like a giant clusterfuck. Like, they're just tripping over themselves, yeah. trying to like adhere to the... And she's just like, I, I, I found this, or our, you know, our team found this. This is important. And everyone else like, can't be important it's and she's like it's a sealed like imperial transponder of some kind obviously something the rebellion would use okay. to like, slip past checkpoints and shit like that or be able so to how did that feel to you did it, did it feel like good storytelling or did it feel kind of corny it kind of felt like the the circle of imperial officers at the death star when they're like hokey old religions haven't and it's just like okay oh my god you know it's like you could wave the red flag back and forth or hold up the folder that says top secret documents that have been compromised and then to be like, it's a piffle. <laughs> well, obviously not a piffle, but you, you get that sort of sense. Okay. Because um, it's just like, but this is the kind of incompetence that we've come to know and love with the, the, the Imperials. Like that you fail upwards in rank. The, the, the more little pips you have on your uniform, the more incompetent you truly are. All the way up to Grandma Carter, who was like, now in our moment of victory, why would we flee? Uh, Because we analyze their attack pattern and we see a weakness. We're vulnerable. Well, they can't get us now. We are literally going to blow up. Yeah, they're like... Darth like, I'm going to take my car out for a ride. The junior officer is like, sir, let me explain this in the clearest possible sense. The way they're attacking is going to exploit that weakness which is going to destroy us all. You will die. Not in our moment of triumph. I'm going to go to my personal transport. I think my mom's calling me. I'll see you in a day. Or not. And the whole time, you know, that junior officer is running to his ship going, man, i got to update my resume. Yep. And sure enough, he was right. Um, so that's, like, the, at least the Imperials feel like that. Like, they come in. We're the best. We know what we're doing, even though we don't how dare you talk to, and, and there's this beautiful dressing down scene where he's dressing down like the the irish guy who was like the the sergeant in the commando raid 
the the young Ernest first lieutenant who was trying to run the raid, but obviously was scared shitless. And then their superior officer who was out at a conference and had nothing to do with it. And you just, you know, the Imperial was just like stomping all of them, like incompetence, incompetence, incompetence. And at one point he's saying, saying something and the, the, the sergeant sticks up his hand and he turns to him, really? And hand comes slowly, comes back down. That was the, to me, one of the more enjoyable points, but that it was the epitome of the, of the empire. The way that they, if you're not part of the empire directly, you are not even just a subordinate, you are dirt on the bottom of their jackboots. And they nailed that perfectly. It's so far as the rest of the show that's just very tired in terms of the writing. So, yeah, that's that's my two cents on that one. At this point, with all the sense I've, I've, I've been throwing into this, someone could like start a bank account or something. <laughs> just keep throwing those pennies. I'll keep tossing them. So, yeah, so, so far, Andor has not wowed me. Um, and I know on the, the reception... First episode rated high, second episode rated lower, third episode rated high, and this episode is rated lower. So it feels like we're on a wave here. So episode five should go up somehow, but yeah. But we do know the heist is in three days. So, yeah. Because they couldn't stop not saying that. But the heist is in three days. Yeah, we get it. Because this is the eighth time you've mentioned it in the last five minutes, that the heist is in three days. You know what's happening in three days? It's the heist. heist. Yes, it's, yeah. it's the heist. Jeez, know... the, you only had to say it once, and I got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did everyone mark their calendars? In three days is the heist. The heist, three days. Yes, okay. And like they turn away and turn back. So, by the way, the heist is in three days, and they'll turn back. And... So, in two days, we're going to prepare for the heist because the day after that is the heist. That's what this episode felt. Every time they went to Rebel Camp, they made sure to drive it home. Heist is in three days. Fuck. Oh, this is what I mean by lazy writing. Like, stop telling us. Yep. Show us. And we're done. Good. <laughs> Expect Switch the audience. out of a calendar. Yeah. Circled Circle with ten, heist in big done. underlined and a couple exclamations. And we were like, oh, look at that. And three days is that. Because they even have, like, the days marked off. We're like, oh. So we don't have to talk about this anymore? No. Hopefully not. But they will. I bet you next episode they'll be talking about, yeah, the heist is in two days. The heist is tomorrow. Today's the day of the heist, folks. Fuck me. Um, so, yeah. And then on Thursday, Disney Plus released episode seven of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Yeah, so what do you think about that? I watched that just... Well, have you talked about this first? I talked about the last stuff first, so... Uh, it's not Honestly, there's not much to talk about. I'm so done with... Okay, last week, and it's kind of interesting because Troy made that a point in the episode comments like marvel fatigue um yeah i'm 100 percent done with she hulk i put it up and watched it kind of on the side and i skipped through a bunch because i just couldn't take it anymore it's that feminist writing and if you look at all the behind the scenes of the i guess the showrunner head writer whoever she is mm -hmm. and she keeps talking about how you know, she's not interested in comic books. She doesn't like all the comic book tropes. You know, well, like she's Tim tired of all these. Pardon? So it's like Tim Burton, who never bothered to read Batman before writing Batman. <laughs> At least he made a good movie. Unfortunately, he made, like... he made a visually interesting movie. Yes. Good movies a different, a different topic. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you with that. But uh, 
don't know the I would call it feminist writing. It's this intention that's being put in it. Whereas She-Hulk, in my opinion, should be kind of like a fun fanboy cheesecake kind of you know riff. I like oh no, kind of Deadpool style, in your face, completely ridiculous. A character who's so confident that you know you don't really care is like all this craziness around and. It's like, yeah, I'm a Hulk and I'm a big green woman and I'm hot and everybody knows it and whatever. Like, that's kind of the vibe from the comic. Whereas this is this weird, I don't know what you would call it. Like, it's like a disjointed, like anything that the original comic book was is not in this show at all. It's funny. This episode, I think, helps bridge that. Um, so <clears throat> I'll, I'll give a quick recap. So just in case people hadn't watched and want to know. So this episode's called The Retreat. And uh, it starts with uh, Jen Walters going on dates with, with that guy she met at the, the wedding, Josh. Um, and they go a bunch of dates. And then she finally invites him into the apartment. And then he ghosts her. And she's freaking out because she's like, you know, do I text him? She waits, you know, 12 hours. And she she texted some horrible thing like i'm just i can't stop smiling or some bullshit thing like that and then she's freaking out because this guy's not not contacting her back in any way pause right there uh what do you think about that story stuff because for me i was just cringing the whole time i'm I think not you're supposed, interested you're, you're supposed to cringe okay um because it's 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 part of it's basically it's the gun in the drawer it's the setup for the payoff that happens at the end so while she's waiting for this you know text back the uh blonsky the abomination his parole officer calls her and says uh he's getting a reading from the inhibitor um that's supposed to stop him from turning the abomination and he kind of wants her to accompany him to go check on him and at first she's like sure bring your lawyer he's like i'm kind of more thinking you bring a hulk when you're dealing with the abomination so he's expecting to basically get turned into like raspberry jam when he mm-hmm. gets there, it turns out it's just, just Blonsky had been fixing a, a fence, chasing after his prized chicken and touch an electric fence. And that kind of shorted out the, the inhibitor. I will say abomination. He's one of my highlights of the whole series. Tim Roth just dominates every scene he's in. I mean, the guy is such a fucking talented actor. Yeah. Um, And so while she's there, you know, the, the, what's his face, the, the Chuck, Second, he realizes that, you know, he can fix the the inhibitor. He books it out of there. And while Jen's walking to her car, Manbull and I want to say the Matador, but it's not. It's like L, L, a whole L. L. Gulian? I can't say it. I suck at Spanish. Anyway, the Matador are fighting and they like crash into her car and she can't drive it. Like steam's rising. It's a Prius Prime or something. So it forces her to stay there until the tow truck can arrive. Um, and of course, where Blonsky has his, his, his little retreat, they have no Wi-Fi and no bar signal. So there's a great montage of her wandering around the grounds and they have the no service like you would see on a cell phone kind of hovering above her head the whole time. No service, no service, no service, no service. And she's doing the whole thing where you hold your phone up and 
seeing maybe if you raise it up like a foot and a half above your head, maybe then it'll get service. She finally finds one place where it gets service and it's inside their kind of like their, their group therapy chat. And she's trying to see if this, this guy, Josh has talked to her yet. Um, and then eventually they get her to talk, like, to get into the group where there's also uh, Saracen porcupine. And I can't think of the other guy. Oh, wrecker from the wrecking crew. One of the guys that tried to jump her before. Um, and so she ends and Blonsky's running this group therapy session. And eventually they get her to join in the group and talk. And this is where I think the telling thing in the episode is she says something to the effect of, do you remember that kid from high school that was, you know, beautiful, athletic, popular, great hair. And then she gestures to herself at She-Hulk. And she's like, when she met Josh, she met Josh as Walters, not as She-Hulk. And he seemed to have no interest in She-Hulk. And that was one of the first times that someone's been interested in her as Jen. And she's like, it's difficult when you're Jen and you know that with a simple, you know, that sort of like that muscle that, that you flex that muscle and you're that, that perfect person from high school who gets all the boys. And it was a telling moment, the fact that you know, as She-Hulk, she she's has all the confidence. She's got great hair. She's super strong and vulnerable, yada, yada, yada. But as Jen, she continually is doubting herself because now she has, you know, when she looks in the mirror, she can become that super confident and beautiful person. But it's not Jen, it's She-Hulk. And that, I mean, I thinking about when I was watching, I was like, that must be such a shit kicker to your self-confidence. You know, as a lawyer, confidence is key. Like when you stand in front of a in front of a judge, in front of a jury, and you're, you know, your whole livelihood is based on your speaking skills, your confidence. You have to speak confidently, or they won't. They're not going to believe you. Now you have something that is constantly eroding that confidence, constantly. And she hit a breakthrough at some point where she realized that she is Jen. And she is the She-Hulk. And so, and one of the funniest things is, so they, they're trying to convince the, the character of the porcupine, he has not taken off his outfit, like pretty much ever. And they finally convince him to at least crack the, the gas mask. And everyone's like, oh, dude, how long you been in there? Oh my, could you like put the mask back on? Um, and... In the end credits, because they, they do like the, the 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 courtroom sketches, there's a thing of him there handing his porcupine costume over to the dry cleaner and the look on her face and the stench lines coming off it. They should have actually filmed that scene. That would have been hilarious. Him handing the porcupine costume and the, the, the dry cleaner just like, oh, God, no, what the? Oh, burn that. Because <laughs> um, just the reactions. And... The group convinces Jen to delete Josh's contact off her phone. That if he has ghosted her, he's not worth her time as Jen or She-Hulk. Then we go to the payoff for the setup of the whole very cringeworthy texts and all that stuff. Because we cu cut to three days earlier. So Jen's asleep on the on, in her bed. Josh is putting on his shirt. He walks around, takes his phone out, takes a picture of her sleeping, and texts someone called the Hulk King that he has a sample of her blood. Now, 
personally, I think the Hulk King is the leader. The the Samuel Stearns character from the Incredible Hulk movie. Um, because at the first episode of She-Hulk, Banner was very emphatic that her blood needed to be destroyed. That the sample that he had, and he used this laser to like melt it down into nothing, like just atomize it. Now, whoever this group is, who I think is part of the, what's it called? The, oh shit, I just lost his name. Intelligentsia is probably somehow related to that group, but he sent a text to the Hulk King. So this is going to set up the next two episodes. There's probably, we're probably going to finally see Daredevil because they teased him back in episode five and then six, they gave us the just Jen with the wedding and now this, the, the retreat. So they daredevil better be in the next fucking episode or you know hell will, will be paid um anyways um so i like this episode in terms of the character development because yeah imagine having an alter ego that was perfect in every way you know epitome I take it yeah i you take it but the thing is is i remember in the comics at one point when something happened and Jennifer Walters was stuck in her She-Hulk form. She couldn't revert back to a regular Jen Walters. And as She-Hulk, she had no problem with that. She was like, why would I want to go back to that weaker state anyway? And then when she finally could go back and the confidence from the, you know, the, the hormones or whatever is drained away and she's back to Jen and she realizes just how, how sick she feels with herself for, you know, saying, oh, I don't need to go back to Jennifer because I'm I'm perfect as She-Hulk. And he's like, well, I mean, that's a real kick to the teeth. Because, I mean, you haven't been She-Hulk your entire life. You know, it's it's it'd be tough. It, it, it'd be a, a real blow to your confidence. You know, you, you it's when you're, you're hiding in your house eating ice cream and when you actually have to interact with people, you go to the, your, your alternate bigger form because then you have at least some sort of armor. So... This episode, I think, really went into that. Um, and I'm glad they did because, yeah, up until this point, it's been a lot of bravado. Um, but I think, you know, this is finally Jen Walters coming to term with being She-Hulk at the same time. So I like the writing in this one. There was a little bit of telling, not showing. Um, and again, yeah, they they really needed to film that sequence of the porcupine handing over his costume. <laughs> that would have been awesome just awesome one thing that really gets me with this as far as writing and i think it's bad writing is how incompetent they make uh she hulk like she's supposed to be this great lawyer but she's distracted all the time she's texting she's like she's horrible at her job if she you is. look at she what is actually happening I wanted She's terrible. I wanted this show to be more like a Law and Order. That's what I wanted as or well, like, like or Boston Legal or yes, LA Boston Law. Legal, perfect, or yeah. something to that effect, where we're spending more time with her as a lawyer, and then it's the little side bits where she has to like Hulk out. I mean, we've had the one sequence where she hulks out in court, but that's it. Like we're seven episodes in, and one out of the seven, and it was a very brief moment where she punches out Titania. Yeah. I mean, well, Boston Legal, that was one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah, like I uh, I think Captain Kirk, Denny Crane. Yeah, they they just they needed to inject more of that into this. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of comments online as well, like people saying how weak the like the court 
promise stuff plays out like it's not good yeah legal writing yeah it's i think they they need or needed um a couple of lawyers in the the writing room to help steer this because this is all about jen walter's lawyer and they, they even say it's she hulk attorney at law well right now we're saying mm-hmm. she hulk occasionally an attorney and not that not a very good one um so yeah i i 100 agree with you that way that i had expected the show to take more of a boston legal or law and order sort of like the the law side of law and order um bent to it and then you just have a character who can become a hulk at will this is just feels more like it's the she hulk show and occasionally she's a lawyer and And not a good one and not a very good one and and just they use her, the fact that her being a lawyer as a vehicle to quickly get into the the madcap antics of the episode, um, and it, yeah, they need to spend a little bit more time with the law and less time with the crazy shit, dating and texting and all yeah, that fun stuff, and the wedding and all that other stuff. Like it's it's fun and all, but we need more. I mean, they call it attorney at law, not She Hulk having fun and occasionally doing lawyer shit. <laughs> Online dating. Yes. She-Hulk. Yeah. Online dating. That's yeah, they could have called it that. You know, She-Hulk Tinder. Um, so, yeah. So, that was my take on She-Hulk for this week. Um, hopefully, it'll do something. Um, other than that, so today, no, today, not today. Was it today? No, yesterday, Friday. Uh, Disney Plus released a sequel to a beloved Halloween film of Hocus Pocus, Hocus Pocus 2. Now, I actually own a copy of Hocus Pocus, um, more by accident than by design, uh, mainly because I was ordering The Nightmare Before Christmas and it came as a two-pack. So I didn't have much of a choice. Anyways, um, so I've I've seen the the film because my my daughter, uh, she loves it. Um, And so the original one was done in... 20 30 30 years ago so 1993 um and i've seen snippets of hocus pocus 2 and i'm gonna say my first observation that uh bet midler sarah jessica parker and kathy najimi in these outfits have not aged a goddamn minute from the first movie they look identical like it's it's distressing that how good they look that they haven't aged. I mean, that's the whole thing is, is they haven't aged, you know, you need the black candle to, to summon them and they haven't aged since they got banished back in 93. Witchcraft. But, holy shit. That is some damn fine makeup. I mean, the costuming, everything. Now, as I said, I've, I've caught little bits of it here and there. I think they are the only original returning characters um, I haven't seen enough of the movie to, to know what the plot line is, but I'm assuming they get summoned back um, because that's the way they do it. Um, so I, as I said, I have not yet seen this movie. Um, so I, at some point I'll probably this month because Hocus Pocus is in heavy rotation on several channels, like at least twice a week, maybe three times. Um, so at some point I'll sit down with the girls and we'll watch Hocus Pocus too. I'll give you more in-depth review, but I just want to let you, you know, let you guys know that it did come out on Friday. Um, so there's yet another Halloween movie to watch this season. So that's all I got for that. Sorry, I hadn't watched it and give you a more in-depth review, but 
you know, I'm busy. I got shit to do. It happens. So I think I'm all about talked out now. Mike, do you got anything? I don't know. It's been a light week doing um, alone. And that's a fun one. We're on season nine. Okay. And it's one of these things where I'm starting to watch it alone now because everybody's <laughs> tapped out. And it's like, how many times are you going to watch people in the wilderness just trying to stay alive? Now, are they tapped out or they've already finished the seasons ahead of you and, and you're playing catch up? No, it's the opposite. They're... Oh, okay. The funniest is with my wife, Erica. She was saying, it's like, oh my God, how long do we have to watch this? How long is this episode? <laughs> it's like, you realize they're actually in the wilderness for two months trying to stay alive. You're sitting on the couch for 60 minutes. <laughs> and saying, how long does it take? Yeah, it's like, oh my God, how long is this going to be? Anyways. Um, but I am kind of looking forward to getting through all of that to get onto other things. But yeah, as far as entertainment stuff, there hasn't been a lot. Um, um, there are some movies coming up. Um, commercials again, heavy rotation. Both my girls want to see the upcoming film, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile. Because. Never heard of that. Um, it's. You, you haven't seen the commercials for it. It's about a, a crocodile that sings um, in New York. Um, I think it's based off a, a series of books. Um, let's see, it, it, yeah, children's story by the same name, Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Um, Sean Mendez is the singing voice of Lyle. Um, anyways, my daughters have seen the commercials and you know, hooked and they. So I'll probably be taking to that, or if maybe I can convince Mayor to go take the kids. Um, there are a couple other things coming up. Uh, the new Hellraiser reboot on Hulu comes out seventh, so next Friday. Um and it's a female Cenobite is the pinhead and she looks cool. I'll say she looks goddamn cool in that makeup. Um and I I've always been a big fan of the Hellraiser series. So you know anytime they can inject some life into that is good. Uh Halloween ends it's coming up not not fast enough. Um hopefully we'll see Jamie Lee Curtis finally killer you know him and and her at the same time i'm sure that's going to happen you know nice murder suicide um but i'm probably going to wait for that one to come out on streaming i'm not going to go to see it in theaters um this is that i do like horror films but for the most part most horror films you don't need a big screen to watch it it works just as well yeah october has uh some fun movies coming out 21st, we have Black Adam, which I am right now at this point, I've stopped watching any new trailers or YouTube featurettes or anything like that because no spoilers. I, I'm trying to avoid the spoilers. I did see uh, the the poster of Black Adam catching uh, Hawkman's mace and bringing him to a dead st like standstill as he's coming in to, to hit him. And he just catches it and you're like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah, he's a lot stronger than you are. Um, so I'm trying to avoid, as I said, avoid spoilers for now because it's only in like what two weeks and it'll come out. So I can wait that long. I can wait that long. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anything else in November that's uh 
calling to me right away. I mean, there might be one or two, but I'm just quickly running through the list. I don't see anything off the top of my face. Uh, uh, the School for Good and Evil, which is kind of feels like uh, Harry Potter, but you can be a good witch or bad witch. I don't know. Well, uh, the big thing that came out this week, as far as things coming up, we were talking about this last podcast, Marvel Fatigue. Yes. And then next thing you know, they came out with that Deadpool 3 trailer. Yeah. Yeah. That was a shocker. Um, and what was nice is, you know, you've got Ryan Reynolds talking and then he's like, we don't know what to do for the next Deadpool movie. And he's like, hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine again? And he's like, yeah, okay, Ryan. And he walks up the stairs. And I was like, what? And then they show the Deadpool logo and then the three slashes run through yes. it. Yes. And the internet went ballistic and yeah. then they released a couple more trailers one where they're they're on the couch excitedly talking and and there's a song that's basically playing over the audio and never before have i hated a song so much that i wished it was never in existence so i could hear what they're saying i mean i know they're just talking gibberish and i know um, but it was a brilliant teaser you know, it was and it it's was. like and then i'm gonna take him i'm gonna slash my claws into his head and yeah and i'm gonna stab him the guts like yeah you can tell that's what they're talking about yeah and yeah it was so good and i'm thinking of all this marvel stuff that's been happening like because like i said last week i'm 100 percent tapped out i don't mm. care like quantum mania i'm curious yeah. about and hopefully they do that well but this one has me fired up and I, in fact, I don't even think I watched Deadpool 2. You didn't? Oh. No. Um, something about it, like, I just saw enough stuff with X-Force and how they all got killed off. And it, yeah, that was pretty much you it. You know, there, there's enough stuff. I didn't like the domino casting. Yeah. Um, or not, not even the casting. I didn't like the design of the character. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, everything kind of strayed away from the comic. And then. I actually knew a bunch of people that worked on that movie too. Like did a lot of like a, a guy I went to high school with. He did the cable design, so which was kind of cool. Um, but I don't know. It just didn't land with me, and that's one I was so hyped for. It's like, oh my god, Deadpool and Cable in a movie that's going to be amazing. But it was just kind of I don't know. To me, it kind of fell flat. I don't know. Do you watch the movie? You watch I saw the, the movie. Too? It was. I I wish they had gotten someone other than Ryan Reynolds to do the voice of Juggernaut. Um, there were some astoundingly weak story moments in that film. There were some some funny little quips here and there, but you know a lot of those were ad libs that they just left in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I saw for Deadpool three, it was like yes, yes. And they show the logo, they show the, show the slashes, and then they go twenty twenty four, and I'm like, you sons of bitches. How could you? Oh my God! That's like, you know, that's like stay alive for two years. Yeah, this is at least sixteen months away. UMFs. How could you do that to me? Um. So yeah, so I, I'm getting pretty close to to Marvel fatigue myself. Um, for me, we've got Wakanda Forever coming up in November. Um, and then there's a bit of a break, and then we're into. Phase five, I think. Yeah, it's Wakanda Forever, I believe, is the end of phase four, because then we go uh, to the uh, phase five, which is all about Kang. So we have Quantum Mania, 
We'll have Guardians of the Galaxy. We'll have Marvels. We'll have Blade. We'll have the new Captain America and the Thunderbolts. And I'm hopefully by then I'll be over some of the fatigue. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, so October for me, there's only a couple of things, but again, at the end, we've got Halloween. So that that ends up October and it's my son's birthday, Devil's Night. So that works out really well too. Go Fred. Um, but then again into November, we have uh well weird the al yankovic story which i cannot wait to see that. i am dying to see that movie and i've read a couple of, of reviews and people are just gushing about this film and i'm like i've got to see this film uh we also have black panther wakanda forever which i've i've, I've already talked about um and i believe uh, there's the walt disney animated strange world is coming out um disenchanted is coming out the Guillermo del Toro version of Pinocchio comes out on Netflix. I don't know how well that's going to go. Um, I think that's like the scary uh, looking Pinocchio. Um, you know, it means Guillermo del Toro. So you, you expect horror mm -hmm. children's movie. Um, but yeah, other than that, there's really not a whole bunch of things happening in November. And then December, I mean, we got Christmas. But uh, I think it was like... Yeah, there's the the remake of Matilda, which, by the way, both of my daughters love the Danny DeVito version. So I don't know how well this is going to stack up against it. I like that one too. So and my kids love that one as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, Roald Dahl is an author that's read here a lot. Um, as the kids go up in age, they you know, right now my wife's reading uh, The Witches with my younger daughter, and she she loves it. Um, but no, the the movie we have to wait for in December is Avatar: Way of Water. Yeah, that's that's want want um yeah and your Is assignment that your review Mike, yeah womp, so womp. Mike your assignment between now and and December okay you need to watch Knives Out I know you don't I know you you don't like Rian Johnson but you got to watch it you got to okay trust just trust me on this I didn't steer you wrong with Cyberpunk Knives Out is a well very well written movie, a very strong story, and stellar acting. Okay. Yeah, my kids said they enjoyed it. Yeah. I'll watch it. I will not spend any money on it. I'll have someone that. else. For, I mean, it's it's available on streaming somewhere. Yeah. Um, I can even look for you and and find it for you. But you watch it so that way. Come Christmas, the twenty third of December is the Glass Onion, the the next tale of Knives Out. You will want to take your wife to go see it. I'm not giving any money to the guy who made Luke Skywalker drink green milk from a walrus. I'm not doing it. Then have her pay. <laughs> she can pay. That's all right. I can do that. Just, just tell her, honey, we're, we are, we're having a date night, um, but you're paying tonight. Do one of those things where you just buy a ticket for a different movie. And then that works too. What's the other? Um, yeah. 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 That works. Too. I mean, there's other movies coming in, but yeah. Um, Please, please see Knives Out. It is on. I would rank Knives Out almost in the same level as like the Usual Suspects in terms of writing. Really? Yes. How did he screw up Star Wars so bad? Then he didn't want to do it. Oh, simple. As that. I mean, I've I've read some of the. I mean, they're no longer canon now that Disney owns them. But some of the Star Wars novels where you can tell the author did not want to deal with Jedi. I think it was uh, 
Barbara Hambly wrote, uh, it was like a, a prison ship and Luke's on there. And like within seconds of getting on the prison ship, he gets like hit in the head and has a concussion so he can't access the force. And that's how she neatly kind of sidestepped the whole Jedi thing. Because in, in, in her words, Jedis are just too far overpowered to write convincingly. You know, if you can like read minds and sense danger and do all this other stuff, then how are you ever going to be hurt? How are you ever going to be in danger? So she just gave Luke a concussion so she didn't have to deal with it. I think Rian Johnson. Is, yeah, I think Rian Johnson, he was basically told you can do with what, whatever you want. And he was like, fine. I don't fine I'm going to milk a walrus. Yeah, he's like, I, I, he honestly, it looked like he was going out of his way to get rid of characters. Like, was probably told you can't kill Leia. So he's like, do I, can I kill Luke? And they're like, uh, yes, we killed Han in the last one. And he was like, cool. And that's probably why he took the job, you know. So, but when you give him something that he has written and has no restraints of the 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 you know sandbox he gets to play in, he can make some really good films. Knives Out is one of them. As a to me, the story of Knives Out is as strong as the Usual Suspects. It's a story that has you guessing up and right until the end, and yeah, it's good. It's it's really good. Okay, I'm gonna watch it. Based on your recommendation, okay. Because my kids said they liked it, but I'm going to go into it with like you hate know, in your heart. Yeah, hate in the heart. Yes, that's the way to describe. <laughs> I, it. I would say it this way: just watch it with an open mind. Ignore who who's who's directing it, who wrote it, and then have your opinion after after you've seen it. Then say, "All right, this is the guy that did it. Is the movie any good?" I will still have hate in the heart, no matter what. Just have a, a glass or two beside you and some popcorn. Just enjoy the experience of watching it. And then afterwards, let the hate flow. Okay. okay. Hey, sounds good. James Earl Jones just signed over his voice for them to use. So yep. he's retired. And as Bruce voice. Willis as well. Uh, with I, the whole virtual. Yeah. That's <laughs> virtual likeness. So I'm saying two things. Either A, he is going to curse when in five years all these other actors have done that and made piles of cash or he is going to cheer when all these other actors have done that and been paid like pennies compared to what he got paid um and the other thing is when's the next diehard movie coming out then if they have access to his digital likeness for deep fake and all this stuff when's the next goddamn diehard or even a next year man there should be a diehard prequel with a young john mcclane they can do it just have an actor running around and then just put a younger Bruce Willis face on him and we're good. Yep. I will. Have I remember to. back because uh, my first feature job was Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that was one where actors were freaking out because you were doing, you know, like CG animation with characters and you could capture the likeness. Yeah. And there's this huge, massive movement of people saying oh no you can't do this like digital actors are gonna take over all our jobs and it it was interesting because at the time it was like a year of drama about Mm -hmm. that and then it just kind of died out it's like no you still need actors you still need characters i think right around that time there was a, a commercial that they used um uh a likeness of james dean for the commercial i was like mm-hmm. for something 
And it was so spot on. It would have been hard to say that wasn't James Dean. Um, because they they nailed it perfectly. Um, and I think that kind of sparked some of the, well, once they have a digital likeness of us, they can just, you know, make their own movies and, and we won't get paid sort of bullshit. Um, and I mean, how long ago was Final Fantasy? Yeah, that's what, 2000, 2001? Yeah, so that's that's been a while. I mean, like 21, 22 years and the technology still isn't flawless. It's getting close. I mean, deep faking is getting better and better, but it's still not flawless. There's still times where you can tell it's, you know, it's a, a mishmash together. And yeah, it's it's getting better. And there's more and more different software coming out that is making it better. Um, I watched a couple through the Corridor crew they because they do a lot of stuff with deep faking to try to, you know, push the envelope and see how far they can get it. Um it's not there yet. It's not, I don't think it's far enough along for like a feature film. Um, you can get away with it on TV when you have a smaller resolution and a smaller aspect. But when you take that image and blow it up onto a screen that's 60 feet tall, you're going to see the flickering edges. You're going to see the inconsistencies. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to hold up as cleanly. Like even the stuff uh, people have done where they re-deep faked like the Tarkin stuff from Rogue One and the Leia stuff in the in Rogue One as well on your on your computer it looks great it's like wow that looks yeah. so much better than what they showed us in the film but if you take those same images and stretch them up and fit it on a, a full size screen it's going to look just as bad as the originals did because it's just the technology is not there yet to hold up at such a high resolution um, I mean coming from an IMAX background where you know on my screen I'm looking at an image this big and I'm like, looks good to me, but then I have to scale into that image and scale and scale and scale. And what to me, I mean, I see a pyramid from like you know down in South America, and I see some dots. You can zoom in enough, and those dots turn into people. And when you project that on an IMAX screen, what looks like that dot to you on your screen is a person that's about this tall on the screen, and you can see you can see like. All the stuff they're, of their what they're wearing, you can see they have a handkerchief in their pocket. You can see that they their belt buckle is gold and not silver. You can see the lacing on their boots. But when you're looking on a computer and the whole image, all you see is a tiny little speck. Yep. So, you know, what you see on your computer sometimes is not... When you then stretch that image out and post it big, yeah, that's when you start to see a lot of inconsistency. So I think deep faking to a feature film level we're at least five years away before it's going to be able to be a good enough resolution to hold up on film so yeah, that's one thing i always did with um like talking to the sheridan students going in for doing the mentoring thing is you know you look at the animation and okay that looks good but what does it look like on the big screen and you always have that with um now, when you're animating for feature films, you're looking at your little window on the computer. But when you do the dailies or, you know, the tests and you see it projected gigantic, it's a yeah. whole different story. All your like, mistakes come rushing out. It's yeah, like giant and, red arrows pointing at every mistake. And the movement's completely different. Because, yeah. like, on a small screen, you know, you got a wave action. It looks fine. When it's projected gigantic... Yeah, it's, it's it, it, you feel it like changes. it's jittering 
Like it's not not as perfectly smooth as it was before. Yeah. Yeah. So like in, in as I said, when we were doing stuff in IMAX, um, we would I mean, gotta remember, this is like right around 2000. And so I'm looking at like a, a 19 inch monitor. And I mean, my file sizes, I mean, even back then, file sizes were ridiculous. Like just I'm I'm like I looking at this image, you know, this is a frame that could have probably taken like six hours to render. And I have to blow it up to what what will be as close as I can get to print size. Um, because then everything from the that was you know rendered those frames were optically printed onto IMAX stock and then we would go to the local IMAX theater and run the dailies and even blown up as big as it could on my screen and I'm just kind of like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling this way and this way and that way you know I would find like you know artifacting and I'd be like well I got to re-render this section and kind of paste it in and fix it in Photoshop and all that stuff but then you know to run a sequence, you can't run it at full resolution on your monitor. So you have to run it at a reduced resolution. It looks fine. But then we print the IMAX frames. We go to the you know IMAX theater. They play it. And you see, you know, flickering pixels. You see stuff that in that tiny window, reduced window to play the animation looks fine. But when you see it huge, you have jitter where it's not something's not tracking in a nice smooth spline. It's kind of bouncing back and forth across that spline. And when you see it that big, as I said, all the mistakes, you may as well have giant red arrows pointing at it. And we would sit in the theater and we would have laser pointers. And a sequence would probably play eight, nine, ten times because they would just loop it. And you would just have the laser pointer like up uh, right there. And and usually we'd have one of us would have like a pen and paper and we were, we're writing it because we got the time code down below. And we're writing up the frames that have the issues and what the issues are. And yeah, it... Those sessions were always heartbreaking um, because some of the frames, I mean, you're dealing with frames that could take, I mean, I had one sequence where a single frame took almost 24 hours to render. Whoa. And I mean, we had like four deck alphas rendering. Those were our, our main rendering farm, those deck alphas. They were impossible to use for day-to-day -day stuff, but they were beautiful render machines. They could crunch what, what a normal machine would take 10 hours to crunch. They could do it in three. But only four, and it still would like I had frames that you, know, you look at the, the, the time count on the frames, and there's like 23 hours between frames, and you're like, oh my god, that took a day to render. And this sequence is like you know, 80 some frames, you're like, oh shoot, how can we speed up this run? <laughs> so that's honestly, that's where I learned how to optimize scenes and optimize rendering and rendering in stages like what's not moving in this frame so i can only have to render that once and then when i composite together that can just be plopped into each frame in behind so i could limited renders and i i swear i learned a lot of my compositing as well um because we didn't always have you know three months to render something so yeah and then as i said then the heartbreaking is when we get it printed optically and go to the imax theater and then you just see all the mistakes IMAX is so unforgiving in terms of... Damn it, got to do it again. Yeah, and then sometimes I remember the sequence was perfect, but there was a pixel on like a goose's wing that was flickering between black, mid-tone gray, and white. Every frame, it was a different... That one pixel was different. And all I could see... And the sequence was like eight and a half seconds. Is that pixel just going... Just every, and, it, and it was like... 
24 frames per second. And it was never the same color the next frame. It just was strobing. And I'm just like, oh my God. And what I ended up doing instead of re-rendering the whole thing, when we got back to the studio, I tr I pulled up that sequence in Photoshop, which by the way, the file sizes were so big, every file took about five minutes to load in Photoshop, every frame. And I got really good at batch, like creating a batch where it would load the frame, isolate that pixel, and I put it at a 50% gray and then save the file. We optically print that scene again, play it. That one, that one pixel is just a, a neutral 50% gray. And then you started to spot all the other mistakes. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to rip my hair out. It was such a nightmare. I mean, that whole sequence to begin with was was a nightmare because we're uh it was one of those cases of so this guy in Michigan had this whole thing where he trained a, a goose to fly with him, like he'd be speeding along on his boat and the goose would fly, and eventually other geese would make a, a flying V off the, the one goose as so you'd see the boat going along in this big flying V of geese. And they wanted to include this in the film. On the day they filmed, where they got a helicopter to kind of track with the boat, they had like four geese this way and one geese that way, and, and, and like like one goose. And it was just like you have six geese, and this flock is supposed to be like thirty plus geese. And instead of saying, "We'll tell you what, we'll come back on another day where there are more geese in the area who will join this V," we'll fix it in post. And then it got handed to me where I had to model texture, light, rig, and animate these effing geese. I had to set up um, physics systems because every feather was a plane, a curved plane with a feather texture on it. And I had to put them all on the geese. Every goddamn... I know how many feathers are on a geese's belly. I don't even know how many feathers are on a geese's wings. And then I had to... Again, I had to set up a physics system that would simulate wind so that it would ruffle the feathers. And then I had to arrange the geese in that flying V, offset their animation because they don't all flap at the same time. There's a little bit of offset on all the wings. And then I had to manually match move the camera to the helicopter so that the perspective would be right. And they could not supply me with what lens they used that day. So I had to guess it. I guessed wrong a couple of times till I finally got it dialed in. That sequence, honestly, was one of the sequences like, like you know, camel that broke the, the straw that broke the camel's back. That was one of the sequences that by the time it was all said and done and finished was what led me to quit 3D animation for a while. Whoa. It was that bad. Mic drop moment. Yeah, it was just like I got it when it was finally all said and done. Um, and in IMAX, it looked good. And I got rave reviews from the director who was like, he couldn't believe how good it looked. And he's like, if he hadn't been there on that day that the filming, he would have believed that there were, you know, 21 geese total in that flying V. Because um, I even had to do reflections in the water. And then I had to ripple the reflections to match the ripples of the water. Okay, you got to share this clip. You must have it somewhere, right? No, I don't. Honestly, I don't. No? Um, and I was I was so burnt out from doing that because I was working 
ridiculous hours to get this done, to meet the deadline. And I got it done. And instead of saying, hey, good job, you know, take a day or two to recover, I was handed yet another shit serving of an even, even more ridiculous sequence. And I remember the director was in the studio at the time and I get shown the sequence and he's like, oh, I just want to add this and this and this. And I, I turned to the owner of the studio and I said, if I'm handed the scene, I quit. And he's like, you're, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. This, this screams of ineptitude because it was the director's son who did a lot of the shooting. Like he went to Christmas Island to shoot the crabs when they do their, their yearly migration out of the forest, across the roads, to the water's edge. It's a well-known phenomenon. There has been countless documentaries about this. Never filmed in IMAX. It's also well documented when this happens. This guy shows up two weeks late. Gets there. Crabs have already moved back to the forest. The whole mating sequence is done. There's no crabs on the roads. There's no crabs in the water. There's a couple of crabs in the forest. So instead of saying, hmm, maybe we should come back next year, he shoots plate shots of crab, of where the crabs would have gone, shoots some sequences of the crabs in the forest, and then says, we'll just add some digital crabs. That's amazing. And I remember, as I said, I turned to the, the owner and I said, I'm not mm -hmm. modeling crabs. I'm not animating crabs. I'm not match moving because this guy didn't write down what he had a whole case of lenses. He couldn't tell me which lens he used. Uh, at the time, there was really no good match moving software for you know matching camera positioning to like like stock footage. There was there's really no software out there that did it well that was affordable. Um, it was all proprietary at, at different studios. And I just remember saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not. And he's like, well, we you have to do it. And I'm like, well, guess what? I quit. I don't have to do it. Um, and so finally, that went back and forth. I didn't end up not quitting right then and there. Um, the director realized that there was a lot of footage like this. Like there was the big butterfly migration through Mexico, monarch butterflies, that they showed up two months too late. It was done. Um, and I, I, you know... He heard me because I was in the office basically arguing with the owner of the studio and the director was standing outside the office. So he heard me basically saying, if he doesn't have the brains to run a search engine to find out when this stuff happens or his son is too busy partying it up to, because the thing is, is with the butterflies, he got there in time, but couldn't rent a helicopter. By the time he got a helicopter, <laughs> the migration was done. So he just filmed plate shots, figuring they would add them in later. It was a lot of add them in later sort of bullshit. I'm like, they need to really reevaluate what they want to do with this film and go film this stuff when it happens next year and then put the movie together. They just can't rely on CG to, to fix all their mistakes. And I'm like, and I said, if they if they, that's the route they want to take, it won't be me doing it. And uh, yeah, so I basically, I got burned out of IMAX stuff because um, it's just the attention to detail you have to have is just, yeah. Um, I'm surprised I didn't get an ulcer. Um, but yeah, I was, I was working ridiculous hours um, 
And I just, I, it was something that was unsustainable. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now when, when I, you know, when, when I'm talking about like deep fake and how it's not ready for the large resolution, I'm speaking with some experience in that matter. Um, Cause what you see on a, on a computer monitor, even if you have like a 60 inch TV that you're using as your computer monitor, that 60 inch TV is nothing compared to a full size IMAX screen. It's just yep. when you get something to that scale where a person's face is 40 feet tall, no screen you have at your desk or on your wall even comes close to matching it. So, yeah. So if you're listening, take heed. Uh, so we're speaking off the page going IMAX. Yeah, it's not. Um, so yeah, so that's the end of my rant. Um, I'm not sure if we have anything else to, to talk about. Um, I still want to do top 10, but you know, the guys don't show up. So yeah, um, I'm hoping you know next for... week I'm doing my top 10. I don't <laughs> care. Episode 56. I'll, I'll tell you my, my number one film. So you have, you only have to wait a week, folks. Just wait that week and it'll happen. All right. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. So I've been Trevor. I'm Mike. And I think we're going to do a collective goodbye on this episode 55. Ready? I think we got this. Three, two, one. Collective goodbye. We still got to work on that. All right. So enjoy listening to this, folks. This has been Beacon of the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bad time, same Spider Channel, may the Force be with you, and thanks for tuning in.